This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the library. We'll get started. My name is Troy Swanson. I'm the library department chair, and I'm excited to see so many of you here today. I'm excited for our panel, um, and I'm excited for the week that's uh, coming up on us. So today's event is Zombie Math. Uh, when we proposed doing a year-long event on zombies, um, we had to convince our administrators on why zombies are actually academic things that we can study. And one of the things we said is that, well, you know, outbreak models, models about zombies, are real things that mathematicians look at to help us learn about how disease spreads um, globally. So it's kind of cool because we have to talk about zombies, but also use it as a way to learn about things like math, things like emergency preparedness, etc. Tomorrow, um, speaking of math and outbreaks, starts our World War M Moraine Valley Zombie Apocalypse uh, game. So it goes from Wednesday to Wednesday. I see many people with playing pieces. Um, part of today's event, we'll talk about that um, event starting tomorrow and how the math looks, how it models real-life outbreaks. We're hoping to get 2,000 people across campus to play. And I know many of you already have playing pieces. I know your classes are playing. If you're not playing, there's a table here in the back where you can go and pick up stuff for free to play. So remember tomorrow to put on your human buttons and wait to become a zombie. Okay, with that, let me introduce our panel members. Um, I'm very grateful for their time and their energy in preparing for today. I'll start at the end with uh, Mr. Pete Porter, who's from uh, biology, teaches anatomy physiology. To his left is Brian Kurth from mathematics. And to his left is Jeremy Walker, who's also from mathematics and will be uh, acting as our moderator today, keeping us moving along. So, again, thank you to all of you, and I'll turn it over to Jeremy. Thanks. Well, so, so this should be a pretty interesting talk. We've got a couple of different perspectives on things. Um, you know, when you think of a zombie outbreak, some, some people think of that like a virus, right? Like some movies have made it. It's literally a virus people are catching. And then other, there's always this element of you get bit and you become a zombie. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be a virus. There's probably a lot of ways to look at it, right? And so it's interesting the different ways you look at it, but it all relates back to the spread of things. So you can think back to the spread of ideas, this, you know, over Facebook or something like that, the spread of rumors, um, and then even something like the common cold. And so what we're going to start with today is kind of looking at some of the biology behind the spread of things and things we have to consider when we build a math model. And so you'll hear us say the word model a lot today. So when I think of the idea of a mathematical model, what I'm thinking is some kind of math that can represent the situation. So it might be a formula, it might be a series of formulas, it might be something else, but some kind of math that can represent what might happen. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start over here with uh, Peter, and I'm going to say, you know, I think about the, these ideas of infections, and the first infection that pops in my mind is the common cold. Hope, you know, we're all healthy right now, so hopefully I just didn't jinx it, but we're going to go there. The common cold, I think, okay, it spreads so easy. Um, it, it behaves in a way that it seems like, is it related to zombies? Is it not? Like, how can we think about how things spread? You already jinxed it. Oh, yeah. I've oh. got it. Okay. Just don't touch me. <laughs> I already touched everything. Um, hi, everybody. I want to talk a little bit about infections and look at the biology side. Um, I have a biology background, so I want to talk a little bit about that and kind of use the common cold. Um, common cold isn't exactly like a, a zombie infection, but it's one we all know. So let me just kind of talk about the cold. And then I'll, I'll kind of compare and contrast that to how it would work biologically with a zombie infection. So common cold is a virus. Uh, a virus is a small particle 
kind of made of genetics. It's actually genes wrapped in this protein coating, and it gets into your body. What's really crazy about viruses is they use your cells. Your body's made up of all these cells. It uses your body parts to make new viruses. So when you get a viral infection, like when you get the cold from somebody, that virus gets in your body and it starts using your body to make more virus. It turns your body into a factory to make more and more virus. That virus spreads through your body, and the virus is smart. What it wants to do is once it's used up everything in you, once it's sort of used up all the resources in your body, it wants to go to somebody else. It wants to jump to somebody else. So it works really hard to spread from one person to another. Before you die of the virus, it wants to spread somewhere else where it can get plenty of food and warmth and all the things it needs. Viruses or any infection usually spreads in a very predictable way. It usually spreads by the fluids in your body. Common cold spreads by what we call respiratory secretions. That's a fancy 50-cent word for mucus, right? When you get a cold, you get stuffed up, right? Your body makes this mucus because mucus is sticky, and it tries to trap that virus. But unfortunately, again, the virus is smart. It triggers mechanisms that make you start sneezing, makes you cough. So what happens is those respiratory secretions, that mucus, gets out. If I were to sneeze right now, and let's say I've got a cold and I sneeze, I'm sneezing all kinds of little particles of mucus. I know this is gross, but that have viruses in it. And that's really how the common cold spreads. That sneeze, those respiratory secretions spread out throughout the room, and you might breathe it in, or I might wipe my nose and touch something, and then you might touch that mucus and then touch your face, and that's how it actually gets into your body. And then that virus gets into your body and starts using your body to make more viruses, and then it wants to spread to somebody else. Viruses... Viruses or bacteria or any other kind of infectious material can also spread by saliva. It can spread by blood, semen, feces. So basically almost any fluid in your body can carry that virus. And then when that fluid comes out of your body, I know it sounds kind of gross, but then if you come in contact with it, that's how you'd actually get that virus. With any virus, any infection, like a zombie infection, there are certain stages that an infection goes through. So to explain how things spread, how this zombie virus or, or uh, disease is going to spread through campus, I just want to go through the basic steps of infection, how it spreads. So the first thing that happens is somebody gets infected. When you get infection, what infection means is you actually get the infection. If it's the cold, it's when the cold gets into your body. If I sneeze and I sneeze right in your face, and I'd never do that. That's gross. But if I did on accident and that virus got into your body, that's, that stage is what we call infection. That's where the virus or the bacteria or the infectious agent, the zombie disease, actually gets into your body. The next thing that happens is it, we call it proliferation. That's a fancy word for it spreads through your body. That's when your body start, it starts using your body to make more virus. So you get a little virus in your body, and it starts using your cells and organs to make more viruses. And it starts spreading to all parts of your body and making more and more viruses. That's what we call proliferation, and that's when it's actually spreading through your body. So you may get an infection. You might breathe in a little virus, and then that virus is going to start spreading through your body. There is a period of time called latency. Latency is a period of time where the virus can actually lay dormant. In other words, it just stops doing anything. It's sort of like it goes to sleep. And every disease, every infectious material has a certain latency period. I, I don't know if you've heard of HIV. I'm sure most people have heard of HIV. Magic Johnson, 
I don't know if you know who Magic Johnson is. He has HIV and he's had it for about 20 years. It's laid dormant in his body. He has the infection, but it's asleep. It's not doing anything. So that's had like a 20-year what we call latency period. Some diseases, some infectious material have long latency, meaning they just kind of go to sleep and they don't really spread that infection for a while. And some have very short latency periods where you get the infection and it doesn't lay dormant for very long. Now, that brings me to a question. Um, is there a reason that some would have a bigger latency? So is there an evolutionary kind of benefit to this? Yes. Certain diseases... The purpose of the virus or disease is to want to spread to somebody else. So if you live somewhere in some remote area where you're not around people for a long period of time, if you get a virus or you get that disease, what could happen is that disease could kill you before that disease has a chance to spread to other people. The virus doesn't want to do that. Once it's used up all your stuff, it's sort of like if you go to a friend's house and you want to eat pizza. Once you've eaten all the pizza... There's nothing left for you. You want to go somewhere else and eat pizza. That's what viruses do. They come in your body. They, they run through you. I'm hungry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the viruses go through your body, and they use up all the resources, and eventually that can kill you. The virus will die with you if it has nowhere else to go. So a longer latency period usually helps the disease have a longer period of time for them to pass to another person. Disease is the point where you actually start to show signs and symptoms. So after the, the virus spreads through your body, the disease part is the point where you actually have the signs and symptoms. If it's a cold, you might start feeling stuffy, you might get a headache, you start to feel symptoms. Believe it or not, when you first get a cold, you have the cold, but you don't know it. It's not until you get to the disease point where you actually start to feel the signs and symptoms. And the last stage of, of infection is transmission. And transmission is that disease moving from you, that infection moving from you to somebody else. Remember, that's what the virus or the disease wants to do. It wants to spread to somebody else. It doesn't want to use everything up in you and then kill you and then it has nothing to eat. It wants to spread to somebody else. So that, that process is what we call transmission. So let me relate that to a zombie infection. You know, there's a lot of literature out there. I don't know how many people. Did anybody read World War Z? You read it? Pretty good book. Anybody see the movie? I have not seen the movie. True Blood, or I'm sorry, The Walking Dead. You've got a lot of literature out there, a lot of movies. So I kind of did a, like a lit review and looked at the different zombie type of infections and um, tried to put together what I think a zombie infection would be like. So again, this is just my interpretation. Uh, every book is a little different. But basically, with a zombie infection, it's a contact spread. It's usually spread through saliva. So you see zombies, they bite people. So in their saliva, that's where the virus is. Remember, viruses can be passed by any kind of fluid in your body. So for most zombie infections that I've seen in, like, the movies and TV, it's spread by biting. It's spread by the saliva. So that's a contact spread. So if you were to get a zombie disease, somebody would actually bite you, and that's how the disease would actually get into your body. It has a very fast proliferation, a wicked proliferation. All the zombie literature I've seen, the disease spreads like that. About 6 to 12 hours is how long I've seen it, you know, usually reading everything, how long it seems to take for that to spread through the body. Almost no latency. The disease doesn't go dormant. It just, once it starts, it keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, and progresses quickly to the disease state where the people start showing the signs and symptoms. They start shuffling around, brains... Whatever they do, they get to that point very fast, usually within 48 hours. And again, transmission. 
that virus or that zombie disease is going to want to spread. And usually, everything that I've seen, it's spread by biting. That's the normal kind of contact point. So the zombies will bite you, and that's how they'll pass that virus or bacteria or whatever into you. Now, I want to take this opportunity to talk about the game that they put together, World War Z, and kind of talk to you about how that relates to what we're talking about here. So Moraine Valley is doing this simulation of a zombie outbreak, and it's called World War M. And that's the game that they're playing, and if you haven't signed up for it, you can sign up for it. They, again, you said 1,400 people so far? Wow, amazing. Hoping to get to 2,000. And what it's going to do is they're using Moraine Valley to simulate a zombie outbreak. Let me just talk a little bit about that game and kind of compare it to uh, what we've talked about so far. For this game, for this simulation, everybody starts as a human. So if you were to play this game, you would, every, you would start as a human. And they give you a little packet. You've got a packet right there, and it's got a button in it that says human. So you put the button on. And that's how everybody that's playing the game knows you're playing the game, right? So you don't go and try and infect somebody that's not playing the game, and they get mad at you. They know because you, you have a human button. Now, mysteriously, a zombie outbreak, a zombie disease is going to start spreading through campus. And how it spread is somebody's going to walk up to you and hand you a card, and that card says infection. If you get handed a card, that means you have now become infected with the zombie disease. When you do that, there's a website. It's awesome, by the way. The, the website they have for this is just awesome. It has a whole campus. You can see. You can track the spread of the infection. It's really, really cool. What you do is you go onto the website and you log your disease status. You say, hey, I've been infected by a zombie. You'll get four infection cards, and then you get to go and infect four people. So you'll go and you'll infect four people. And the way you infect somebody, you don't bite them. You actually just hand them a card. Once you've infected four people, and that's the maximum amount of people you can infect, then what you do is you go onto the website, log that you've infected four people, and then you put on a zombie button. You don't put the zombie button before you infect because we don't want people to know, like, if somebody sees you with a zombie button, they're going to run away. They want it to be like, you know, they don't know who you are. So you wait until after you infect the four people, and then you put the zombie button on. And then you're just a zombie. There's a wild card in this game. They're actually going to have an antidote, so you can turn from a zombie back to a human. Um, and that, I, I believe you're going to have hints on, online and different ways and Facebook and different ways that you can get that and you can actually go back to being a human. All of this is going to be tracked online so we can actually watch in how this simulation progresses, how the spread progresses. And I think that they're going to talk about what we predict that spread is going to be like. So uh, I think about this and I think about... Um my own personal literature research, which involved playing Dead Island on PS3 and, uh, by the way, beating the game, in case you're curious, in like two days. But anyway, I was playing that game, and um, in that game there's a latency, but the, the zombies are very violent. They run right at you. And so I think, are there diseases like this? I mean, in some movies, uh, the zombies are slow moving and all that, and some, and some they're very fast, like this particular game. And so I think, you know, are there any real diseases like that? It's so interesting that the person stays in a way healthy enough mm -hmm. to be able to attack me. Yeah, there are some diseases that are similar to that. Before I get to that, let me just explain one thing real quick. This game is different than what an actual zombie outbreak would be like in that, you know, you are only infecting four people. In a normal infection, you can infect infinite amounts of people, um, in the game, it guarantees infection. If I come up to you and hand a card to you, you're guaranteed to be infect infected, which 
in, re- in the real world, that doesn't always happen. Just because I have a cold and come in contact with you doesn't guarantee that you're going to get that infection. So there are some things in this game that we couldn't simulate, but we tried to make it as real as possible. Um, to your question, Jeremy, th- uh, there are a couple of diseases that I kind of put together. There's a whole host. Uh, I have a healthcare background, so I've seen a lot of different diseases. And there were three that kind of came to mind that if I was going to make a zombie disease, and I won't, but if I was going to, there's three that I would kind of put together. The first one is rabies. Everybody heard of rabies? Rabies, yeah, it's a virus, actually, and it gets transmitted by biting. Usually we kind of associate with animals. You know, if, a, if you get a dog bite, you don't know who that dog is, you know, you, you go to the hospital and they do a rabies check on you. That's why your pets usually get rabies shots. Rabies is a virus that gets into your body and it spreads to your nervous system, especially an organ called your brain. So um, when you hear zombies wanting to eat brains, that's where the most of the virus is located in the brain. That's really what rabies is like. Rabies also gets in the saliva and it makes animals or humans that get it bitey. It actually doesn't have that same kind of symptomology with humans, but animals get really bitey. You know, they get the big foamy mouth because their saliva, their salivary glands start producing lots of saliva with viruses in it and they start to want to bite. And that's kind of something you see in zombies. Like when I read the literature, you know, you see that zombies are always wanting to bite people. Leprosy is another one. I would merge that with leprosy. Leprosy is actually a bacteria, but what it does is it causes destruction of the skin. So when you see zombies, let me see if I get a picture like there, you can see like the skin kind of falling off right there. That can happen in leprosy. Um, Leprosy, there we go. Leprosy um, destroys the skin and causes it to break down very severely. It can break down tissue. So when I think of a zombie disease, I kind of think of the, you know, the body kind of disintegrating. Um, And you can see that with leprosy. The other one is the cold, just the common cold. And the reason I throw the cold in is because the cold has a wicked spread. When The cold is very easy to spread from one person to another. Leprosy and rabies are actually kind of hard to spread, whereas the cold spreads very easily. And whenever I read the literature on zombies, it seems like it spreads very easily. So um, just from a virulent standpoint, I kind of think that those three diseases, put them together, and that would make something close to what I read about as a zombie disease. So what I ended up doing after, uh, after talking to him a little bit about the biology and everything is I went in and I actually started messing with some numbers. And so I was curious about how fast, uh, how fast things progress. So let's say that, you know, we have zombies that are running around and they're infecting people. How quickly till the whole world's infected? I mean, I, I, I'm, of course, I immediately jump to that, right? The worst case scenario, I'm like, okay, will the world get infected? Now, I don't know if that's going to happen with our game because the world's not playing, but it helps us to think about the big model first mathematically and then bring it down, okay, so how do we work with our game? And so what I wanted to first think about was we have very active zombies, which I think is kind of the classic concept of zombies are out there, they're out trying to bite people, and they're biting as many people as possible. And so what I want to do is think about, okay, how would that uh, grow? How would this infection grow? And I thought the first thing I thought about was money. I mean, naturally, right, zombies, money, it totally makes sense. Well, I thought when I put money in a bank, you know, not only does that money grow, but the money, the interest that adds on to it also grows, right? So in other words, when a zombie bites somebody, that person becomes a zombie and they keep, the, it keeps spreading, right? So it's very, very similar. And so what I did first was a model where I said, okay, we'll start with 20 students. So we'll say, okay, 
got 20 students that are infected with some kind of zombie disease. And they're going to infect four students the very next day, and they're going to continually infect people. Every time somebody gets infected, they're going to continually infect. This is a little bit different than the game, but we'll, like I said, I start with the big picture and then I come down. So these are the numbers of infected. So if you look here, you can see by day five, there's 12,500 people infected. That's five days. We're almost at the student body. There's about 18,000 students here. Only up to day nine. It's day nine. We're way past Chicago metro area being infected. Look at day 10. Look at the number there. This grows very quickly. This is called an exponential model. Extreme growth. Basically, it just kind of shows me that a uh, zombie attack would be very, very bad if the zombies are actually active. Um, so yesterday I took a screenshot of the current world population. There's a calculator online. They're accounting for bursts constantly, so that's why there's a little scroll there. And so I ha have us near uh, day 13 almost at the world population and at day 14 well over it, right? Now think about what we're missing here. Uh, I didn't account for borders. So this is a very raw mathematical model. I didn't account for borders. I basically assumed that no matter what, you could infect as many people as you wanted. And basically the world ends in 13 days, just like that. Just like that, it spreads everywhere. Now, you think about what would really happen. Uh, I don't assume people are just going to get on a plane and fly to France and bite people. I think that, so, you know, I'm not sure how easily it would spread like this. So I say, okay, let's adjust this a little bit. Let's make it more realistic for our game. In our game, once you infect four people, you can't infect any, you can't infect any more, right? So, okay, I start again with 20 students. Every day, the person who's zombie infects another student, and they stop at four. Okay, so each infected person keeps going. And so if you take a look, even in this simpler model, by day six, the entire student body would be infected. So think about that for a second. Even if you're only allowed to infect four people, very, very quickly, we take out the whole student body. Now, okay, not everybody's playing, right? And this seems almost unbelievable, but exponential growth is like this. This is why, by the way, you invest and save your money, because this is how your money grows. Exponential growth is like this, very dramatic, and builds up very, very quickly. Then I said, okay, I don't know how active zombies would really be. I said, okay, what if we had lazy zombies? I don't know, it's still pretty active in a way. I say, okay, well, what if they were only to infect two people? And then they're like, I'm kind of bored of the game, I'm not going to infect anybody else. Notice the growth is a little bit slower, right? So by day four, there's only 160 people. But we said, what, we want about 2,000 people playing. It looks like in, within a week or so, you're done. The game's over. Everybody's infected. Even with lazy zombies, the infection spreads very quickly. And it still comes back to it's still a type of exponential growth. Now, again, think about it. This is assuming that it's easy to infect other people. There's some considerations to be made. And so it's a very introductory uh, math model. And I, I wanted to show you, by the way, if we were to look at even the lazy uh, model, Look at day 11. Even within 11 days, the student body's gone. Day 15, you're in the hundreds of thousands. And actually, it's day 18 that you hit the Chicago metro area. If you were able to keep infecting people and you actually actively infected just two people and then each zombie infected two more, this is how quickly it would build up. And so I was curious, you know, what would it look like? So when is the end of the world? You know, uh, everybody would be hurting. Everybody would be crying. Days are over. And so I look here and I say, okay, with our very active model, the world population is infected within 12 days or so. This is assuming the first day is day zero. And even lazy zombies, it still only takes 28 days. Basically, a zombie infection with how fast it moves, assuming that it can keep moving, it's going to happen very, very, very quickly. 
And so I found this very interesting, but then I realized, okay, this is bad, but what am I, again, what am I not considering? And so, and also how, what are other ways to think about this? So, you know, even non-lazy zombies, even the active zombies, I assume they would actively be infecting the same number of people every day, right? Well, that's a little unrealistic. Maybe one day they infect four, maybe next day 10, maybe the next day one. Uh, I figure zombies might get tired after a while, you know, so maybe it'll slow down. Maybe, maybe there's a peak. You know, once enough people get infected, won't it be hard to find a human to infect? So if everybody in here were zomb was zombies, it's going to be hard for you to infect somebody. You'll have to leave here. And how easy will that be? I know in the game it was pretty easy to make zombies stop running around because you had a machete. That game's pretty sweet, I'm just saying. But anyway, you had a machete, and so you could stop them from walking around. And so, okay, so now they're not going to infect anybody. That's not in my model, right? And even my lazy zombies are still doing quite a bit. And so as a mathematician, what we do is we look at this and we say, okay, that's the big model. How can we make it more realistic? And so uh, that's where I'm going to bring in uh, Brian because he went and looked at what are some of the ways to think about this dynamic movement? In other words, as we look at things, it kind of changes. The zombies might slow down. Other stuff might happen. So we want to see what would happen with that. Okay. So what is my model not considering? Like, what can we do with this? Well, there are several things that uh, a model has to take into account at any given time, um, some of which have already been touched upon. Uh, the more zombies there are, as that population grows, the fewer people there will be to infect. Um, so here are a few models that mathematicians uh, consider an uh, increasing order of complexity. And at each level, we introduce new uh, information. So first, uh, which Jeremy already used in her calculations, the exponential growth model. So it's based conceptually. I'm going to try not to get uh, too mathy here. The idea here is that the rate of change of the infection is proportional to the number of people who have the virus, assuming it's a virus. The more people have it, uh, the faster it can grow. The less people have it, the slower it can grow. So the more people have it, the larger your rate of changes. So in some symbols, and so for you calculus students, uh, this should look a little familiar. The left-hand side here, this DPDT, that's the rate of change of the infected population with respect to time. So the rate of change of population that's infected with respect to time is changing is a constant times the uh, population at that moment. So it's proportional to the number of people who have it. The more people who have it, the faster it can grow. The less people who have it, the smaller it can grow. And this K would be some empirical constant that we'd have to analyze uh, by studying data. It would vary from case to case uh, and virus to virus. And so in my model, that would be like when I multiplied by four. Yes. I said, okay, everybody's good, so I multiply by four because each person infects four people. Okay. Absolutely, depending on how active they are, how quickly they turn, uh, things of that sort. And if you were to solve this uh, at the end of a Calc 1 or a differential equations class, you may recognize this. A population is uh, given by P sub 0, which is your initial infected population, uh, the exponential constant E raised to the power of your rate times time. Now, some of you may have seen this in another form, also known A equals PERT, uh, which you may have seen in an algebra class or a general mathematics class. Uh, exponential growth equation, here it's given in a fancier version, uh, where we have our uh, constant E doesn't change a magic number like pi. It uh, depends upon time and how quickly your infection is spreading, and it is dependent upon how many people are initially uh, infected. So that's one model, but the limitation of this model is it's just blind growth. Right? As the number of zombies increase, the number of people who can be infected will ultimately decrease. So at some point, the rate is going to have to slow down. So that leads us to our next model, which they call the logistic equation. 
So the, the concept here is that the rate of change of our infected population is proportional not only to the number of infected, but to the number of uninfected as well. So that fits better for larger populations where you have a number of people uninfected is beginning to decrease. So it has a uh, general uh, uh, form, the derivative of infected population with respect to time. Is your population, you have two constants. Again, this would be interpreted empirically. Uh, scientists will go back and look and uh, try to determine these afterwards. A and B times P, and then the solution is a little bit more complicated looking, but again, it depends upon these constants and your initial population, and our magic number E fits in there as well. Now, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this since this is getting a little uh, complex. When, it, when you say logistic, you're kind of, this is supposed to model where my model went, kept going up forever, basically, and the world was over, but it kept going. This one is saying it's harder to infect, so maybe it slows down if that's what's will, happening here? It will slow down. Eventually, fewer people, fewer people will uh, be uninfected, so the rate of change of increase can't continue forever since the population is not infinite. It's going to have to slow down, and it will reach a limit. Eventually, worst-case scenario, everybody has it whether it's 5 billion, 10 billion, how many are on Earth, the rate of change will have to slow down. So the first model just was blind growth. If you had unlimited uh, resources, you just go out there and you infect. But uh, realistically, that won't be the case because fewer and fewer people will be out there. To be infected, your infection will have to slow down at some point. Um, but this doesn't take into account the population of zombies. So we'll introduce uh, what they study in nature when you have a predator and a prey, uh, say, for instance, a fox, and rabbits living in a forest, a closed forest, so that's another uh, assumption we have to deal with. Predator-prey equations, uh, one species preys upon another, so you have an equation for each one. The rate of change of your predator and your rate of change with respect to prey. So I wouldn't worry about the symbols too much. Uh, the idea is that the prey will continue to grow in the absence of the predator. So the predator is slowing the growth of the prey, but the opposite happens for your predator. If you have no prey, its population will decrease. So you have this relation. Uh, both are dependent upon time. We have the interaction between a predator and a prey, which is kind of how a zombie uh, outbreak would happen. We would be the prey. Zombies would be the predator. But that's not the end of the story. Um, presumably humans, we will try to fight back. The prey will fight the zombies, and it will introduce a new dimension to our equations. So predator-prey equations, the human-zombies, but that's not the end of the story. So uh, professional mathematicians, this model comes from some mathematicians in Canada, developed what they call the SZR model. And this is a variation of the traditional SIR model, which they use uh, in science to study uh, being susceptible, being infected, and then recovering, either by becoming immune, uh, becoming well again, or by dying, a uh, worst-case scenario. So the S stands for susceptibles, anybody who can contract uh, zombieism. Z stands for zombies, and R is the removed people, people who have uh, either died, natural or otherwise, zombie-related death or otherwise, or zombies which have been finished, finished off. You've uh, got them traditionally in the movies, you have to go for the head, so the zombies that have been eliminated. So we have to say, okay, what kind of factors do we need to take into account? Lots of things are changing, lots of things are happening. So they give fancy symbols to these. They say delta is what they call the non-zombie-related death parameter. How many people are dying but not due to some zombie? Uh, which is actually, for those of you that follow Walking Dead, people seem to be dying of some non-zombie-related uh, illness at the moment. How many people are dying of non-zombie-related deaths? So we'll call, I'll call that natural, even though it still could be 
uh, unnatural causes. So we have how many people are dying? The, uh, it'll be some decimal of non-zombie related deaths. We have zeta, the parameter that describes the rate at which people are coming back from the dead. You know, there will be some number of dead people at any given time, and some of them are going to come back. And then we have beta, the uh, rate of transmission, how zombies will infect uh, humans. Uh, and then we have alpha, the zombie destruction parameter, how efficiently can we destroy them? You know, we can't kill them all. We try to kill them as much as possible. But what's our parameter? Uh, what percentage of those will we be able to kill at a given time? And then we have birth rate, uh, capital pi. So it's at some given moment, more people are being introduced into the scenario. So then we must consider how quickly are the zombies turning people and how quickly are we able to eliminate them. So this equation, again, don't worry about the symbols too much. But what happens is the number of people that are being turned is proportional to the number of people who don't have the virus and the number of zombies that exist. If there are more susceptibles, you can have more zombies. If there are more zombies, you can produce more zombies. There's a, a joint a variation with the number of susceptible people and the number of zombies. And then also uh, the number of zombies that are destroyed. The more people that can kill zombies, presumably the more we can kill, the more zombies that are out there, the more zombies that presumably we could kill. So we have the number of new zombies per each zombie per unit time. Uh, this uh, equation actually was a topic of a Yahoo article uh, some weeks ago, and it's called the equation that spells your doom or something of that sort. So it's how many new zombies are produced. Uh, and then, so this leads to a system of equations. We have an equation that describes the people that are susceptible. We'll uh, try to condense this. S prime is how quickly the susceptible population is changing. So we have our birth rate. We have the rate at which people are turning into zombies. And then we have the people that are dying of non-zombie related deaths. So if you are susceptible, you are either being born into the world, or if the population is changing, you're either turning into a zombie or you're dying otherwise. And then we have the zombies themselves. Well, what do we have? We have the rate at which people are turning. Oops, let me like that. That's uh, how the zombies are infecting the humans. But we also have the rate of which people are just rising from the dead. In some of the older movies, it seems that anybody who's dead can just get up, assuming you're not decayed enough. So you have some proportion of the dead that are resurrecting back to life, but that's being decreased the rate at which we are trying to kill them off, which would be a good thing. We would want that to be as big as possible. Uh, ultimately. And then we have the dead class, which this is something that predator-prey equations don't take into account. How quickly is the uh, population, if you will, of dead people changing? Well, you have people that are dying naturally in a non-zombie way. You have those that we are killing, the zombies we are killing, they're dead again. And then you have to take away the count of people that are rising from the dead. So you have people that are being destroyed and you have people that are coming back. So you have three things that are uh, changing here your population of susceptibles, your population of zombies, and then your population of removed people. So uh, in a diagram, it would look like this. We would have people, whoopsies, in our susceptible population, you can either move to the right and become dead uh, through a natural non-zombie death, or you can become infected and become a zombie. But even if you're dead, you can move back towards the zombie class. You can rise from the dead. Uh, presumably. Again, this depends on your mythology. Do you need contact with a zombie to come back? Uh, things of that sort. And then we have the uh, number of zombies that we're killing off. How quickly can we kill them off? So we get this diagram where people are flowing in all directions. 
and then we have this stream of new people, new people being born. But mathematicians don't generally take that into account. So we analyze these equations, and we have to make some assumptions. We have to assume something. You know, there's an old uh, expression about what happens when you assume, right? But we have to bring something to the table. Otherwise, we won't be able to get anywhere. So what we do is we have to assume this attack happens over a short time period. But what does that entail? That entails that the birth rate is irrelevant. Right? Even though, say, in Walking Dead, some new people are born, but that doesn't really seem to affect too much. And we also assume that the natural death rate is zero. If it happens so quickly, it doesn't matter who's dying of cancer or stroke. The zombies are out there. They're going to get you first. So we assume that the birth rate and natural death rate is negligible. But again, even in Walking Dead, that seems to be changing. People are dying from other causes now, and they seem to be coming back from the dead as well. So this model can be modified in many, many ways. This is just the very basic. Okay, so we want to find out where does the system of zombies, dead people, and susceptibles reach an equilibrium? What happens in long-term behavior? We set all these rates of change to zero and say, when does this happen? Well, we get this following uh, series of equations. And don't worry about the symbols too much. We'll uh, interpret those. We then study these equilibrium points using some fancy words, uh, Jacobian's eigenvalues, if you've taken uh, calculus three or differential equations. So we study these equilibrium points and we come to some conclusions. Conclusion one, uh, coexistence, at least in this model, is impossible. Somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose, and we're probably going to lose. Uh, step back for a moment here. If you look at this first equation here, this tells us essentially that either the number of people that are susceptible or the number of people that are zombies will eventually be zero. If the product of two numbers is zero, one of them must be zero. And this beta is just an empirical constant. So somebody's going to die out. Either it's the zombies or it's us. So by equilibrium points, you mean that the rate of change is all the same? So you're saying that uh, zombies are being created, zombies are dying off, people are coming in? So I'm saying everything is in balance. Okay. But quantities can still change, but there's no net effect. Okay. Once we're in equilibrium point. So we're not going to be able to survive together under this model. Some, somebody's got to go. Uh, conclusion two, one of two things will happen. Either A, we die out. They call that the doomsday scenario. Uh, that's uh, mathematically described by the fancy term asymptotically stable. We can come back to that later uh, if there's time. Or the zombies die out. We win, and we are in a disease-free equilibrium. But this is not a stable scenario. This is a very sensitive scenario that uh, is not likely to happen. Okay, so the moral of the story is a zombie apocalypse will be very difficult to survive. We're not saying it's impossible. It's just the odds are not in our favor. The odds are not in our favor. Uh, so these mathematicians that devised this model ran a uh, simulation. In blue, you could see the susceptible population. And then in red, you could see the rise of the zombie population. So the uh, susceptible population started out at 500, which is measured in thousands. So 500,000 and starts off and then quickly starts to decline. You see where the uh, populations there seem to be equal. And on the bottom is unit time. So depending upon how you measure your parameters, that could be days, that could be weeks. But very shortly, after about three units of time, uh, they are equal. And then after that, the susceptible population, the uninfected is just annihilated, mostly. So the zombies seem to win, at least in this model. Okay. So then these mathematicians also devised other models, taking more things into account. Uh, instead of just your standard SZR, they introduced what if there are people who are just infected but aren't zombies yet, this little this go-between stage. Uh, that's the SIZR model. But they've uh, calculated the zombies will still win. That just delays it a little bit. That buys us some time, but they will still win eventually.
what if we can quarantine people? S-I-Z-Q-R. Susceptible, infected, zombie, quarantined, and removed. Well, we can win, but only if we are able to quarantine the people that are infected and the zombies very quickly. If we can't do it quickly enough, we're gone. Uh, we have to be able to do it very quickly, which, practically speaking, seems very hard. How do you identify these people and isolate them before they can infect other people? So it's possible, but it will be difficult. And then they had a model with the treatment. And a treatment coexistence is possible. Humans may only exist in low numbers uh, to counter the uh, zombie attack, but coexistence is theoretically possible. And then what if we are able to eradicate them? I remember if those of you who saw the World War Z movie at the end, they start trying to wipe them out in large numbers. If we impulsively try to eradicate them, uh, we could succeed in this, but only if we are able to do this with an increasingly frequent and increasingly aggressive force. So day one, we had to wipe out 10 zombies. Day two, 100. Day three, 1,000. We had to keep up in the ante as we go along. If we fail to do this, we will still lose. But uh, no matter which model you look at, the outcome doesn't seem to be uh, very good. Very good. But then, of course, we have the other considerations. Don't zombies fall apart? Right? For those of you, uh, for the Walking Dead fans, you'll see the zombies in this season seem to be a little more rotten and seem to fall apart a little more easily. If they don't eat, don't they just presumably crumble or... Ugh. And how quickly would they? Do they fall apart quickly? Um, do they take a while? Some of the zombies look like they've been around a long time with various uh, things missing. Uh, do dead zombies themselves come back from life? Can you become a zombie... Uh, get stabbed in the head, and then somehow come back again as a zombie. Maybe if a zombie uh, bites you again, is that possible? Um, one mathematician in Colorado said, if they can't come back, then it is possible to eradicate them only if uh, alpha is greater than beta. So if we go back, alpha is the rate at which we are destroying them, and beta is the rate at which they are being, uh, zombieism is being transmitted. So if we can kill them quicker than they are multiplying, we can do it, assuming that zombies themselves can't come back. But that, again, depends on your mythology. Well, I, I happen to be an expert in that based on the game. And, yes, they can come back unless you cut off their head. I'm just letting you know. Well, yeah. that is, is not good. That is not good. If they can come back, we have to be sure to uh, take the head off. So what else? Are we all infected already? Again, this depends on your mythology. Uh, if we already have some virus that just needs to be activated, uh, maybe we don't need to be bitten by zombies. We could get in a car accident and then wake up and walk around and bite people. Um, can the dead resurrect without having had contact with zombies? That is related to the previous point. If you're already in your grave when this happens, can you just walk up, you know, bust up out of the grave? Oy, can the virus become airborne? Uh, so we've assumed that this requires contact. If it became airborne, uh, that would not be good. It would spread uh, even quicker. Can zombies evolve? This has been hinted at in a few Hollywood movies. Can they be smart and try to avoid you? Um, that would affect our kill rate if they can fight back or run and hide, things of that sort. Uh, and another uh, major question, do they move quickly or slowly? Uh, here we can compare World War Z with, uh, with Walking Dead. In World War Z, they move very quickly. They'll just bombard you. Uh, you see them climbing up the walls. Uh, in The Walking Dead, you just have this you know, lethargic... So that can be a huge factor as well. You see them coming, you know, they can be easy to dispose of, hopefully, if there aren't too many of them. But if they move quickly, um, it does not look good. So 
and then here are the mathematicians that I have borrowed their ideas from. You know, as I, as I listen to this, all I can think, well, I think of two things. First of all, I think how complex these models can get. It's amazing where, you know, I do something like, well, let's just multiply by four because they're going to infect four people. And, okay, so we're good, right? And then somebody says, well, aren't people being born? And, wait, aren't people, you know, everyday life is sort of moving on. You know, some people have diseases that aren't zombie diseases. Aren't they dying off? How is this going to change things? So it's very interesting to hear um, how those complexities uh, come in. And so I want to thank you both, first of all, for um, helping me see that. Hopefully everybody else kind of saw the interesting aspects. Now, I said two things, so i got to say the other one. In my extensive research, right, so I went on Google, and uh, I was curious what other people had done. And so I found the most shockingly wrong thing I've ever read on Yahoo Answers. I know you would say, why would you find something wrong on Yahoo Answers? How did this happen? And I agree, I don't know how, but it was. And they said, um, you know, the question was, how would I model a zombie outbreak? I have to do this for math. And so I thought, okay, this should be great. The top voted answer was, why do they make you do this in math? Uh, it's not like we would be figuring this out if there was actually a zombie outbreak anyway. And I had to laugh to myself because I was like, of course we would immediately want to know how fast this is spreading. Wouldn't that be one of the first things you would want to know? How, if you were in charge, like how fast is this spreading? And so that I can try to see how bad it's going to be and kind of, I don't know, plan things. So I thought that was kind of amusing. Um, but now we, we look at this and we can see that um, there would be a lot to it. And this applies to all kinds of things. So you may say, why would mathematicians, quote, you know, waste their time with this? And I would disagree that it's a waste because so many things are related to this. The math you've developed to work on this can apply to other diseases that behave in the same way and other things that spread in the same way. All right, so uh, we have a little bit of time left, so I was going to see uh, open it up to any questions you might have for anybody on the panel. Um, so go right ahead. You can raise your hand or whatever you would like to do if you have any questions. I have the microphone, so if you raise your hand, I can come to you. You said that, uh, that in, it spreads by biting in saliva and liquids. What about if you scratch someone? Generally, if you scratch someone with any kind of infection, if there's nothing on your fingernails, you won't pass that infection on. What happens is if, let's say I have a cold and I'm wiping my nose and then I scratch you, there's a little bit of that virus that's in my fingernails and that's how it gets introduced into your body. If you do scratch somebody and even if there's no virus like on my hands and I scratch you, what that does is disrupt the integrity of the skin. Our skin is a protective layer that prevents all these viruses. Believe it or not, in this room, there's tons of viruses and bacteria that if they got in your body would cause really serious things. When you scratch somebody, you make these holes in the skin that make it easier for things to get into your body. So like in a zombie outbreak, I think that they're just infested with you know, the virus or the zombie disease in every part of their body. And so when they scratch, I would assume that that would be a transmission point as well. But like with a cold, if I scratched you, if I have a cold and I scratch you, I wouldn't necessarily give you the cold unless on my hand I had those, uh, that mucus or that thing that has the virus in it. Other questions? I'll ask one. With our game that we're about to play tomorrow, what are the things that are going to slow down the spread? Because it, it's different, right, than if we were all standing in the gym infecting four people and four people and four people. We're going to have to think about how this works on our campus. If it snows, it's going to slow down. <laughs> well, yeah, and if you think about it, um, you know, what if, uh, so what if certain classes in, you know, I think statistically, what if certain classes in certain departments are more likely to play the game? 
And so like the, in the math department, we have classrooms typically in D and a couple in A. Just that uh, being near each other might make it more difficult for it to spread. Uh, people tend not to go to buildings they don't have to go. We have a kind of a big campus. So unless you're actively like, I'm going to go get somebody, if a lot of people happen to be in your vicinity, I think that, that could easily slow it down. I mean, I don't know if I'm missing some other things, but I think that could be an interesting aspect to this game. Yeah, I would say um, Maureen has a lot of hiding places. If it got out that there is a virus on campus, um, how could we try to avoid it? Maybe the authorities would catch word of and quarantine us. What would we do? Would we have to fend for ourselves? Would we uh, quarantine ourselves in a uh, remote corner of Moraine and try to tough it out? Um, you know, there are so many places to hide. Uh, how quickly does it spread? Things of that sort. It's, it, it would be tricky to, uh, to try to predict how this would work out. All right, other questions? Yes. Hi, I'm in the common department and my class is here and we're going to play this game and write about it for our fourth essay. So if you haven't seen me, make sure you get your pieces. I've got them. Um, anyhow, the, the idea that you get a card to get infected initially and there are four cards in the bag. I had a lot of questions about do we get rid of all five cards or do you only infect four people? That's my question. I don't know if that's for Troy. So my understanding is that you can only infect four people. So Troy, she's asking about the rules of the game. Yeah. Uh, so all the cards in there, I'm assuming you can only infect four people. Is that correct? That's what the rules are. You know, there's no referees. So if you get given a card and you have five, no one's watching, um, you know, there's no way to regulate that. So I'm not stressing about it because it's just going to make the, the game, the disease move faster through the campus. So um, that's all right. Zombies don't pay attention to biting limits, but we all do that. I do think it's interesting, like, for instance, staff and faculty can play. So I had 15 of our accountants want to play. So they're in an office in this building, hidden away. Will they get infected? Our nursing, uh, there's a big group of nurses who are playing, nursing students. They're in the other building. The infection is starting in a building tomorrow morning. Um, I wonder how quickly it's going to spread, and will there be pockets of people that don't bump into someone who's infected? So that's uh, fascinating about it. So if one person in accounting gets infected, I'm sure everyone's dead meat, right? There's only 15, yeah. 4, 4. But if that one person doesn't get infected, then they're going to be safe. So I think that's a, a fun part of the game. All right, other questions? So, yes. Um, so you said that uh, viruses spread just to stay alive. But do they improve? Like, do they uh, evolve by spreading? So would that would the common cold improve if we had a controlled environment where we had people infected and then um, and how would it improve? How would the common cold improve if it if it would? Yeah, that gets into pretty uh, complex virology. It does. Viruses can mutate, and by mutating, they can become stronger or weaker. Generally, they actually get weaker as they mutate. The virulence of them, the strength, kind of decreases over time. But some viruses actually can get stronger over time. And so um, it gets kind of complex beyond that, like what factors would cause that um, to be stronger and weaker. The nature of the virus, there's retroviruses, DNA viruses, RNA viruses, and each one of them have different susceptibilities to mutations or changes. So um, 
but you're spot on with that viruses do mutate and that can either cause them to improve and become stronger and learn how to beat our own immune system defenses or over time they can actually weaken and become less virulent or less strong this is kind of part of the fear of like the bird flu outbreak and things like that when we try to vaccinate big populations because if with this exponential growth right if you get one that really does move quickly right. there could be some serious problems that we would have correct yeah absolutely cool. good okay other I see question here yeah. use the microphone because we can't that can affect on the rate of the zombie, like temperature or, or something. Like I'm just concerning about the vi spreading the virus. So I think that depends on, uh, like he was calling it kind of mythology. Like there's different approaches to how to represent it in different movies and books and things like that. I don't know if I've seen one that would affect that. And I don't know in general. So you're saying temperature of maybe the body or it, does that affect other viruses in general? Yeah. What happens is your body, just in general, your body. When you get a cold or you get sick, your body temperature goes up, you get a fever, your body's trying to create an environment that's, that is not good for viruses or bacteria to live in. It's sort of like trying to burn them out. So your body's response to things is to protect itself. So when you get sick, you get a bacterial infection, a virus, a parasite. One of the ways your body protects itself is by raising the temperature. You know, it's sort of like when you put things in a dishwasher or you, you boil water before you drink it to kill all the, the things in it. Your body's trying to do the same thing. So, yeah, that's a, a, what we call a host defense. Your body will do things, and one of the things is raise its temperature to try and, and burn those viruses out. And did I see another hand over here? Yes. For the whole decaying thing, um, if could you maybe outlive the zombies? So if you, like, hide away for however many years, can all the zombies die from, like, old age? From, like, like you hide for six years, would they all die, and then you could just come out, and this virus would be dead? I mean, I can't imagine why not, because they're – and, okay, we have a biology person here for when I'm wrong. But uh, no, you're it's, right. it's, like, uh, it's uh, organic material, so it's going to decay over time. I think the only risk is how long would that take? Um Maybe, you know, if they're attacking each other in any way or something, that could affect that. But I think in the end, organic material decays. But how long will it take? Would we have enough resources to hide for six years? Uh, during that six years, would the zombies still continue to infect people, or would we be able to completely contain the zombie population outside and the susceptible population inside? Will there be no interaction between them? But, yeah, I don't see theoretically it seems like we should be able to outlive them if they decay sufficiently quickly. So. Good. Yeah, good question. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's give a round of applause to our panel members. This was great. I appreciate it. It's fascinating. And I want to thank all of you for coming. If you don't have playing materials, go to the table in the back. Remember, tomorrow morning it starts, so wear your human buttons. Play by the rules. Have fun. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library.